Welcome to Bovine Banter with the Penn State Extension Dairy Team. My name is Ginger Fenton, and I'm an educator based in Mercer County, Pennsylvania. Sarah Cornelis, who is a senior extension associate, is joining us today to discuss considerations related to starting and managing a value-added dairy business. Thank you for joining us today, Sarah. Thanks for having me, Ginger. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what your role is with Penn State Extension and your areas of specialty? Sure. So I'm Sarah Cornells, as you mentioned. I'm a senior extension associate based in the Department of Agricultural Economics, Sociology, and Education on the University Park campus. My broad programming area is ag ag entrepreneurship and business management. But under that umbrella, I focus on value-add dairy entrepreneurship, dairy food consumer trends, direct marketing, digital marketing, which includes social media, and e-commerce. Thank you. It sounds like you're just the person we need to talk to today. So when someone contacts you because they are interested in exploring a value-added dairy business, where do you suggest that they start? Entrepreneurial value-add dairy processors should begin by thinking about who your target customer group will be. So that is, who is going to buy the product or products that you want to make? For instance, if you want to bottle milk, how would you describe that customer? And we call that developing a customer profile. For example, again, going back to the bottling of milk, is your ideal customer moms with small children that are perhaps middle income and that live within a 30-mile radius of your location? So that gives you a place to start in terms of thinking about, you know, how you can market your product to them. Alternatively, as a processor, um, you may want to consider taking the approach of determining what products the customer group you can reach wants to buy. For instance, if you're out in your community, do you often hear people commenting that they wish they could find a good local whole milk yogurt, for instance? So thinking about making what you know will sell rather than searching for a customer group that will buy what you want to make. Okay, thank you. What are some key pieces of information that they need to compile before they approach a lender? My recommendation is to approach a lender with more information than they might ask for. That way, if they do ask for something, you have it readily available and you've given them the impression that you've done your research and and prepared to meet with them. That said, I would suggest that you prepare a business plan, which will include a marketing plan, financial statements, and contingency plans. Some of the financial statements to include are a balance sheet showing your assets and liabilities, and some pro forma financial statements, including a cash flow statement. That way the lender can see how you anticipate sales and revenue to happen throughout the year or across several years. So of course, so check with your lender or potential lender and ask them what information they need to make an informed decision on on the request that you make. And do you have any suggestions with where somebody could find assistance as they start to collect this information? If you're an existing dairy farmer, um, you should probably you probably already have a great deal of information at your hands um, in your current records. And so this is a good starting place in terms of building out that initial, you know, that initial balance sheet. And then um, you've at least got the cost of production for the milk that you are presumably going to use in the value add processing business. 
as the producer compiles this information that we just discussed, does this look different for a processor that also owns a farm? So I don't think that this financial information or, or the business plan information, anything that you're going to take to a lender looks different for a processor that also owns a farm. I think the only advantage is perhaps, hopefully you've been through the process of putting together these materials previously and therefore have some, some additional insight that you can take to that discussion with the lender. How would you go about identifying a target market? And at what point in the planning should this be considered? How you start to determine your target market will depend a little bit on the approach that you've taken for determining what product or products that you want to make. So if you recall, you know, I mentioned two different approaches to um, determining the product. And if you took the approach of finding out what product consumers are looking for, you already probably have a feel for that group of people with some of those general characteristics that they have, such as age or location where they live or work, and maybe a feel for what their income range is since you've already interacted with these individuals. But whether you drew your product inspiration from a known group of consumers or not, take time to be observant of people and trends. You can do this either in person or online via social media, for instance, or through popular products such as TV, radio, uh, magazines. And then in person, pay attention to what different people are purchasing or where they shop. And then online or in popular press, and, and also in person. So I guess all, all instances, pay attention to what sorts of conversations people are having. What's important to them when they're discussing food? Is it convenience? Is it you know, health and nutrition? How does it fit into their lives? And how does it make their lives better? What are they looking for? And that will help you understand that target market better. So this process of identifying your target market really needs to be considered from the beginning because your target market will impact all of the, your decisions for marketing, not just the product you manufacture, but also the pricing of that product, the placement, so that is your choice of market channel and outlets, and then the promotional activities and communication tools that you decide to use. Can you tell us about some creative or innovative approaches that you have observed for marketing value out of dairy products? Sure. I think there's lots of really creative marketers in the value added dairy world, just from those that I've watched, whether it's online or in person. There's one cheesemaker, for instance, who has a cheese vending machine outside of their on-farm store. And that lets customers who perhaps couldn't make it to the store during open hours or can only come on the weekends to, to still purchase products when the on-farm store is closed. But there's lots of other examples. I've seen a couple of value-add processors who are offering their products in party favor sizes, say for weddings or corporate events. And that's an interesting and neat twist on value-add dairy, I think. I don't think that's something a lot of folks think of as a party favor. There's also now Facebook shop, and that's not necessarily innovative, but it's new. And so there's um, processors who have jumped on that wagon and decide to utilize this new tool to get their products in front of consumers and hopefully generate or initiate those sales. And then finally, I think during COVID, there were a lot 
number of cheesemakers who began doing different things um, in order to market and sell our product and get it to the consumers. So we saw cheesemakers that were offering virtual cheese tastings where they would send product out to groups or even individuals who signed up for an event and then joined them online at a specific time and, and talked about and, and tasted the cheeses that they had sent to them. But then also subscription boxes is another way of getting the product out to people on a regular basis and, and maybe introducing consumers to some different cheeses that they had available to them that they weren't able to introduce through sampling at live events. How would a processor determine the price that they want to set for their product? Setting prices starts with knowing what it costs to produce the value of dairy food that you're going to process. So if any of you own the dairy farm that is supplying the milk, your cost of production needs to include the value of that milk. And also probably not just the straight cost of production, but you want to provide the farm with a profit as well. So slightly higher price to the farm for, for the milk that you're using as the input. Many businesses then at that point then simply take the cost of production on the product. So whether it's cheese or yogurt or bottled fluid milk, and then add it on a margin to come up with their price. So for example, if it costs $6.50 to process each pound of cheese, they may decide to add on a 60% markup to get a price of 1040 per pound. And that's a very simple, straightforward approach. However, um, you also want to consider who your target consumer group is, your competition, and your business goals, because there may be a disconnect between just that simple markup process or approach and those other three aspects. So when thinking about your target customer group, You want to consider their disposable income or their budget, um, what their price sensitivity may be, and their demand for your product. And these are going to apply whether you're marketing direct to the consumer or wholesale. So, for example, a restaurant, for instance, will have a target price range for their dishes, and they'll look to source products at prices that will allow them to get that final dish price into that range that they know is you know, what works for their customer base. Then in regards to the competition, um, take the time to research what price they're selling products for. And, and those are for products that are similar to your products. So you want to compare apples to apples, not apples to oranges. And then, you know, once you know their price, you know, try to get a feel for how quickly their product is selling. You know, if it's selling, if they have cheese at, $11 a pound, but it, you know, you don't see a lot of customers and your product is essentially the same, then, you know, can you come in slightly under and may, because maybe the customers, if you have the same target customer market, maybe they can't afford that $11 a pound. Maybe it needs to be slightly less or, or go in the opposite direction too, where you have the opportunity to maybe charge a little bit more than the competition. And then finally, um, you know, you want your prices to drive you toward achieving business goals. So for instance, if you want your value-add dairy business to be known as a leader in high quality, uh, I'm just picking a product here, but specialty butter, then you'll want to set a price that will convey your dedication to quality and that specialty nature of your product to the consumer. 
and low prices typically wouldn't match that goal. And so you'd want high price. There's perceptions that consumers have in their minds when they see a price with regards to what the product is that they're going to be purchasing. So that so with all those aspects in mind, right? Your cost of production, your target customer group, the competition, your goals, then you can determine um, you know, which pricing strategy to use to set that final price for your products. And there are a lot of different pricing strategies. And just to you know, share a couple of examples, there is penetration pricing, where you typically use that to get your foot in the door for a market that you're chasing, and then increase the price after you've got your foot in the door. There's premium pricing, and I have Use that example with, with specialty butter, where you set a high price on a unique and very high quality product, when, particularly when you don't anticipate selling a large quantity of that product. And there's also target return pricing. And it's a little different from my example at the beginning, where it was just a, a standard markup. And this, with target return pricing, you're setting your price to allow you to generate a given return on the overall investment that you've made in your business. So that's that's how I would suggest a processor look at determining their prices. Thank you for sharing that useful information. What are some key resources that someone who's considering a value-added dairy business should have? I think everyone should have that support system or a team available to them. And that's whether, and it doesn't matter whether it's a formal team or just some trusted individuals that you can go to with questions or that you know will listen to you maybe when you're having, um, going through difficulties, for instance. And these could be people with other value-added dairy processing businesses, or they could just be business owners outside of the dairy business. There's a lot of Great things you can learn from people in other areas of business, not agriculture or dairy, for instance. You know, they have a, their own experiences that they can share and their own insights from, from that outside perspective. So I, th- I think other people to rely on are, you know, key for any business owner. You're always going to confront different circumstances and situations where having another opinion or being able to get additional input or perhaps that network to access resources that you don't have available to you is going to be crucial. Should the processing business be considered as separate from the farm business? So most definitely. I would set them up as two different businesses, and this is for a couple of reasons. First, you want to avoid being in a situation where one business so whether it's your dairy farm or the value at dairy processing business is subsidizing the other business. So you want both businesses to be profitable on their, on their own. And a lot of times, well, I shouldn't say a lot of times, but you know, it's not uncommon for folks to look at value at dairy as a way to make their dairy farm sustainable, financially sustainable. But value at dairy business needs to be financially sustainable on its own. And I would go back to what, you know, you need to pay the farm a profit for the milk that you're taking from it. You know, that way, both that dairy farm is, is profitable with the, you know, on the milk production side, you know what the cost of production is on the value at dairy business side, in case this situation ever came along where you need to source milk from, a, from another dairy farm. 
then you know what that those cost of production is for the processing business. So that's the financial kind of reason. <laughs> also consider exposure to liability for each of the individual businesses. And by setting those businesses up as separate entities, hopefully you're able to protect one business from the other. For instance, if someone who consumed your dairy food product were to become seriously ill or die, hopefully by having the processing business separate from the dairy farm business, you can avoid or lessen the impact from any potential litigation that may take place. Certainly, I'm not a lawyer, so you want to discuss that with a lawyer to ensure that you, you, know, you have the business structure that is most appropriate for your individual situation. So as we begin to wrap up, Sarah, is there one key consideration that you would like for producers to consider before starting a value-added dairy business? I think it's crucial that someone considering starting a value-added dairy business, that you make sure that this is what you truly want to commit to, this type of processing business. It's very easy to have ideas and, and to kind of fall in love with ideas, but you know, actually going through the planning process and starting and, um, you know, making this business a success is going to require a very different skill set than dairy farming does. And manufacturing value at dairy foods isn't a type of business that you can start overnight. There's a lot of equipment that has to be purchased, either retrofitting or building new facilities, developing markets. All of those things take time and you really have to be invested in it and know that you can sustain the enthusiasm that you had for that initial idea throughout all that planning process, that time that it takes to get started and build the business to where it's a success. Because that's kind of what a lot of people, they go from the idea and like, I'm going to be really successful. And so you have to kind of remember that there's this, you know, length of time in the middle that you're going to have challenges and you still need then to have that commitment and that dedication to the business. So, you know, while you're taking that time to plan the business, also make sure that you take the time to reflect on all those potential challenges and, and whether you're truly committed for the long run. Well, thank you, Sarah, for taking the time to talk to us today. And thank you to all of our listeners. Don't forget to tune in to Bovine Banter next Tuesday when Extension Veterinarian Dr. Adrian Berrigan will be discussing regulations related to the value-added dairy with Carrie Williams from the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture. 